I do have something new for you. Are you ready? Yes, I think. The ABC's word wizard, the Lord of Language, Professor Rolly Sussex with a word in your ear. That's a bit of fun, isn't it? It's a lot of fun. Who's doing the voicing? We brought in Sir David Attenborough. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Well, it's our colleague, Kenji, who everyone thinks sounds like Sir David Attenborough. What do you think? A bit. A tiny bit. Yeah. David, uh, Attenborough is one of the people I most admire. Me too. I, I think he's 96 or something. He's powering on, continuing that beautiful work he's doing for climates and animals and things. Phenomenal. A man with, with no hubris at all. He's not up to himself. He just says, here are things that are fascinating for me and I want to share them. Yes. What a man. He is loved every day of the year. Oh, yeah. Have you got some love language we can talk about tonight? Oh, where to start? Um, <laughs> there were two St. Valentines. Oh. Yes. Uh, round about the third century, one of them helped Christian couples get wed when the empire was not Christian and didn't like the idea. And the other people helped people escape from the Romans. And so we're not quite sure. It was probably the first one, but they're all mixed up a little bit in history. And, of course, the word valentine, if you look at it, there's a valor in there, meaning bravery. And that's where the word comes from originally in Italian and Latin. And valentine was brave because they were both doing things. They both got martyred. And so they were they were really brave in, in support of their views. So it's actually St. Valentine is 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 Saint Saint I suppose Saint Brave. Saint Brave. Well, it's an act of bravery sometimes to put your heart on the line and confess your love or adoration Indeed. for someone. Except that it's also possible that the whole Valentine tradition came from a Roman tradition called Lupercalia, which were fertility rites which in a way are appropriate as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the first thing. The name Easter, by the way, comes from a pagan name for the, for the spring festival. And so the early church was quite up to grabbing things which are already there and branding it their own way. So Valentine has been around a, a long way. He's also the patron saint of beekeepers, which I rather like. Me too. Okay. And it's, it's one of the interesting ones. You see, the, the West has produced some Christian festivals like Christmas, which have gone international. And in Japan, it is now Kurisumasu. You know, they've, they've actually taken the word in Japan, well, pronounced it in the Japanese way. And it's, it's the huge commercial bonanza that it is pretty well everywhere. Yes. And to add to that, you know that a certain fried chicken chain yes. managed to attach themselves yes. to Christmas in Japan. Mm-hmm. And they turned it into a tradition to have a certain fried chicken mm-hmm. on Christmas Day. And apparently it's, it's huge. Yeah, which was a very great success for that advertising agency. Mm. They did fantastically well. Interestingly, though, uh, recently Valentine and the celebration thereof has been going backwards a little bit in three Muslim countries, which I think feel that it's a little bit too close to Christianity. Iran, Saudi Arabia and Indonesia. Uh, because... It's, you know, immodest declaration of love in public places. You know, it, it's, it's kind of a little bit sensitive. Yes. Whereas we go for it, all you know, boots in and all. Well, yes and no. There's a bit of a split 
I think I've been doing my own little Go very on. unscientific survey just with um, young co- younger colleagues in the yeah. office. Not that I'm saying love's limited to younger, but just in terms of people who are dating and, mm-hmm. and going out. There's a young guy that I know who has a very early relationship. He's doing the red roses, booked the place for dinner tonight, the, that really sort of traditional ah, yes, way. Um, someone else I spoke to said, ah, oh, it's really hard dating these days. It's all about the apps and, you know, swiping left or right. That's still oh, the way. Tinder and yeah, but and so on, um, yes. But, you know, so many beautiful relationships have come from that. But um, this colleague of mine was feeling a, a little less romantic, shall we say. Okay. Georgina, my producer, went for a walk along South Bank tonight. And she said there were lots of people who were quite clearly out on romantic dates, yeah. early dinners tonight. That's lovely. Yeah, I think it's lovely too. And and the words that suddenly pop up in public use, um, you know, things like kissing and hugging and, and love, although love itself is, is difficult in English because there are a lot of ways you, you fall in love. Now, falling isn't a good word because if you fall, this is something you don't want to happen, you don't intend it to happen, Yes, and it does damage to you. Uh, and, uh, and it's not the only one. There's also um, you fall for someone. All right. Yes. And in the past, you used to fall pregnant. I always thought that was a bad choice of word because it it implied that this was something which you hadn't planned and didn't want. And the word fall by itself, going off on the side a little bit, in the 19th century meant to be pregnant in itself. So she was married for three years and it took all that time before she fell, meaning became pregnant. Okay. Wow. But then love, I'm afraid, is violent because you're smitten. With someone. Now, to smite someone is to hit them on the head or whatever with your fist. Um, you are consumed with love, burned up with passion uh, for the loved one. You suffer the pangs of unrequited affection. This is is serious vocabulary. Love is pain. And, and, you go crazy when you're in love. Well, as yeah, well? but that's another one because crazy is insane. Yeah. And uh, uh, lots of. Uh, in French, languages, not in French included, you know, have, have expressions involving fou, you know, in this case, which is madness. And it suggests that when you are in love, you're somehow not in possession of your mm. ordinary mind and your, well, yes, I suppose it's true. Madly in love. Madly in love. Mm. So this is a really complicated sort of, sort of thing. What is, I find interesting is that it's, it's generally equal between the genders. In other words, uh, it used to be the case that the man proposed to the lady, say, uh, and not the other way around. Although I know several women who've proposed to their future husbands and uh, the future hubby said something like, oh, yeah, all right. Sure. (laughs) Very, very romantic. But Queen Victoria, being the monarch, could not be proposed to. And so she actually proposed to Albert, Prince Albert. Is that right? Yes, as as uh, a matter of social convention and seniority. Protocols. There is the theory as well that in a leap year, February 29... Oh, yes, um, women were allowed to... Uh, in, hang on, uh, Scotland, Ireland, England and Finland for some reason. Throw it in there. I say, if you're in love, madly in love, burning up with desire, propose, no matter who you are, where you are or what the date is. Scruffy says... Not very romantic, but can you ask Rolly to explain the difference between ferment, mm-hmm. forment, and foment? Ah. 
Okay, three words which are almost homographs, meaning they're almost written the same, and they're almost homophones, meaning they're almost pronounced the same. Um, ferment is what, what things like yeast does, you know, when it's making wine or beer or whatever, and it, there are chemical reactions going on with usually gas given off as well. You, but you can talk about some, uh, a ferment of interest, meaning something which is bubbling with interest. You know, there was a, a ferment of, of um, disagreement before the election meaning very active sort of pseudo-chemical right. reactions. Okay, foment means to encourage uh, disagreement or revolt or something like that. You can foment a rebellion. It's a slightly older word and people don't use it very much any, anymore. So to encourage. To encourage something violent and, and possibly bad. Oh, okay. There is no, I'm sorry, there is no foment. But there is a formant, and if you're a linguist like me, a formant, formant uh, is when you're looking at the sound which we produce, there are things at different frequencies which come through, and those frequencies have certain amount of volume at each frequency, and those are formants of a certain sound. So you've got three good words. Yeah, great words, Scruffy. Thank you. And also a great nickname as well, Scruffy. Indeed. We'll have to just speculate. He's asking about chocolates. Yes, chocolate has become more or less the gift of default. You know, if you don't, and particularly chocolate combined with hearts, which is the shape of default. Uh, and this is found all the way through Europe, through Russia, through Eastern Europe and what have you. Um, it's the, interesting how these memes you know, or icons have become established and, and become international. Yes. We'll take chocolates too. Mike is in Fitzgibbon. Evening, Mike. Evening. How are you doing, Beck? Really well. What's your question for Rolly? Yeah, hi, Rolly. Yes. Um, I, I watched a uh, Finnish movie on the weekend mm. and the movie was called Sisu. Mm. And um, it said at the start of the movie that there wasn't a, a definition for that word. And I wondered how you could interpret it or if you're aware of the word. Um, Sisu, S-I-S-U. Yeah, I'm aware of the word, although Finnish isn't one of my languages. It's, it's related to Estonian and Hungarian and is completely different from all the languages of Europe, uh, which is what makes it hard. Sisu is um, a Finnish idea, uh, means something like... Um, Stoic determination, uh, you're going to stick with it and try and get something done. So that's what it means. It's a bit like the Danish word hygge, H-U-G-G-E, which is sort of nice, warm, fuzzy feeling when you've got cocoa and your slippers on. Mm. And it, there's no real equivalent. And Sisu is a Finnish special. It doesn't really have an equivalent in English. But no, stoic determination is as close as I can get. Does that make sense in the context of the movie you watched, Mike? Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense, and it, um, it seems to be a very appropriate name for the movie. Excellent. I'll have to go and watch it now. Sisu, S-I-S-U. Good yes. on you, Mike. Lovely to hear from you. Thank you. Oh, we would love you to tell us what you call your beloved, because there are a lot of things called saccharine terms in America, like sugar and honey and so on. Sweetheart. Yeah, sweetheart, yeah. Darling. But also diminutives like babe and baby and Cutie pie, sorry, um, and <laughs> vegetables like pumpkin. Oh yeah. All right. Now there are, there are a lot of these. You know what? Apparently, Prince Philip used to call the Queen. Was it cabbage or sausage? Now that I've launched into that, I think it was cabbage. 
Okay. Queen Elizabeth II, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we might, if we've got time, get to the French later on because they can call each other all sorts of things, including my quail, my duck, my kitten, my cat, my pig, my egg, and even macotte, which means a little turd. <laughs> and, and this, I swear, I swear to you, it's in the French dictionary, is an endearment to someone you love very much. How gorgeous. Well, it depends. Only the French. I yeah. mean, they've, they've got style, all right. Right. And who's saying it, the intention with which they are saying it? Uh, Lawrence of Arabia and Australia says, the story of my parents, of how my parents met is too long for a text, but it happened in Capella, just up the road from Claremont, which is where we just heard a lovely uh, love story from. Uh, but Lawrence's question is, we always used to drop our G's when we were kids, mm-hmm. which mum, a primary school teacher, used to chip us about constantly. But these days, people seem to add a K or at the end of G words, mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. nothing. Why do you think this is? East end of London, Cockney, uh, is the place where the K comes from. Some think, sometimes with an F rather than a TH, something, anything and nothing. And these are the only three words that that applies to. If you think T-H-I-N-G is not think, that's something different. So you couldn't do it there. Um, but the the business about pronouncing your N-G, the ng or a n, is again, it's an education thing, it's a class thing. And oddly enough, it, the upper and the lower classes used to leave out the, the G thing. And they say, are you doing hunt and shooting and fishing me there? And that was upper class about 1920s. Somewhat before my time, I may say. Yeah. Um, or it was lower class. No. In, 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 in East End of London, you know, you're in hunting and fishing. So it was the middle class that preserved the, the ng pronunciation and where they eventually won, won out as the one which has become the accepted one. And is it the Manchester accent where you hear the G sound said quite emphatically? There are parts of of Middle and Upper England, yes, where that's heard. I'm not sure if it's Manchester. We'll have to have to check that one out. According to royal biographer Robert Lacey, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh did affectionately call his wife the Queen Cabbage. Okay, that's cute. So long as it's said with gentle understanding, right. and of course, when you started calling people this between each other, it's a kind of very personal, private language, and if someone else did that. It would probably be regarded as impertinent, rude, intrusive, something like that. So developing private names for each other uh, is, is something which particularly is done by small children. Uh, when I was little, I couldn't say grandpa, and I said papa. I was the first grandchild. And so that became the word used for my grandfather by all the other kids as well. That is so sweet. My eldest son also called my dad bumper oh, yes. for a long, long time. And yeah. then we were curious to see if... My second son did it as well. He had another version of a word, but in the end, they've both just the gone end. with yeah, grandpa yeah. as well. Prince William calls his wife, uh, Duchess Kate, Poppet, mm-hmm. and in return, Kate calls him Babe. That's, well, Poppet is, is much more widely thing. Babe is American. Yes. Uh, very much American. Um, just a question on, you mentioned romance languages. Mm-hmm. What's defined as a romance language? Romance languages are the languages which grew out of Latin when the Roman Empire fell to bits, around about 400 and something. And nowadays that means French, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, and uh, Provençal insofar as it still exists in the south of France, and, uh, and Romance. 
uh, which is a language spoken in Switzerland, with about 50,000 speakers left. I've never even heard of that. Romance. It's, it's a bit of a special one. Right. But why are they called romance languages? Because that was the name. The, uh, they were called romance languages historically. And in, even in Switzerland, the orchestra of the Swiss Romande is related to that. It's sort of, they, they're called romance languages rather than Germanic or Slavic or Celtic or whatever. Wow. Steph from Canungra says, I call my partner wench. People are shocked, but I always have. Oh, yeah. I've heard worse than that. I've heard a, a young young 16-year-old uh, turned up to pick up his girlfriend to go out on a date. He said, come on, bitch. Oh. And afterwards, my wife said to her, look, I'm, I'm so sorry you have to suffer this thing. And he says, oh, no, it means he loves me very much. Yeah, right. In... Which is interesting that you can use shocking words in a very special way to indicate very special emotion. Yeah, well, I guess, again, tone and timing and, and whatnot and, and a, a particular subculture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a term of endearment. Endearment. Can we slip in something completely different, which you told me about today and I didn't know about, which was Galantine and Palantine, or, or Galantine oh, yes, and Palantine? because there's Valentine's Day, but there's also Galantine's Day and, and Palantine. Palantine's. These are fairly recent. Galantine is a sort of women's solidarity thing. Um, to 2010, it turned up in a TV program called Parks and Recreation, of all things. And so this is, uh, it's definitely ex- excluding all men. It's a women's solidarity thing. And Palantine may be related to platonic love. Remember, erotic love is one thing. Platonic love is beautiful abstract ideas and nothing sweaty about it at all. Um, and pa- Palantine is platonic love and uh, is not related to particular genders at all. I love it. I've mm. also heard that um, Galantine could also be like, a day for your gay friends, you know, gay yes. friends and that, that kind of, because, of course, love's, love yes. comes in all forms. And love crosses all boundaries. And I've got another odd one for you. In Greek, there are not one, there's not one word for love. There are four. Go on. Eros, well, you can guess what that one is, sexual love. Philia, which is high affection that you can show for someone, very, very abstract and, and not at all physical. Storge, which is the sort of love you have between family and friends, but particularly family. Uh, and agape, which is unconditioned, self-sacrificing love for your country and so on. Now, the Greeks realized that there were four very different notions at work here and you needed to keep them separate. And I must say that in English, the word love is used for all sorts of things. Do you love uh, brie cheese? I love brie cheese. So do I. But, do you know, again, do you love people? Do you love your country? <laughs> do you love football? Love covers everything. Depends how hungry I am. Rolly, Rolly has called in from Ipswich. With oh, a good. Another one. You. Hello, Rolly. How are you? Really well, thank you. What's your question for Rolly? What's the definition of love? He nearly answered some of the questions there. <laughs> yeah, he uh, did. Happy Valentine's Day to both you anyway. Thank you, Rolly. But, uh, uh, Definitely uh, love. It's very hard. Um, yeah. there, there are most languages that I know have got a very clear definition between liking and loving. But the things that you can like and love are different. And as I've just said, in English, you can love all sorts of things. And it just means a favorable emotional orientation towards something. Going from the very personal, very exclusive, say matrimonial or whatever all the way through to um, something casual that you like the taste of and you might get on Saturday. Well, we're a bit prone to exaggeration, yes. I think, with languages 
in particular yes. now. So you love something. Something's amazing. Something is fabulous. It's incredible. I got to yeah. watch myself as well. But, you know, love is love. Daryl is in Bundaberg. Daryl, good evening. How you going? How you going, Rolly? Hello there. What can we do for you? Yeah, well, I just, um, Aussie slang. Mm-hmm. Oh, I uh, collect bottles off the backpackers in the parks where they're having their parties. Yep. And um, this Irish bloke said to me, where do you always get this uh, servo or something? He was trying to say something like that, and I worked it out. He's trying to say Savo, you know? Oh. And I said, what, the Sav? And that's this afternoon, isn't it? It is, yes, uh, or Savi. Um, and these are called diminutives, uh, or if you're going to be very technical, hypochoristics. And they are an Australian specialisation. I've got on my computer 6,237 of those as of this morning. And we mostly like making them in Y or IE like fiery or cardi. But you can also chop something off just to the first syllable or the last bit like the gabba for the woolen gabba, you know, the sports ground. And you, there's a lot of them in O, slightly older, wino, dero, uh, refo and so on. They, oh. Those, those, I think, date from the forties and fifties. But we use this as a a kind of national way of speaking, and it means I'm Australian, you're Australian, and we're happy to talk like this together. And someone from outside will feel rather left out, and that doesn't bother us too much. Frenchman and uh, Irishman and that, whatever you know, I've got to explain <laughs> myself all the time. Yeah. Afraid so. Well, Darryl... say, I'm out of here, you know. Or, <laughs> Yeah. Well, why don't you just you know, introduce some more? We do it, look, with Bundy and Rocky and so on. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, an Australian feature and we're very creative. There are more than 20 ways to make these things. Yeah. Darryl. I'm going to make tracks. And I was, I was, I'm going home. I'm out of here. Yeah, you're going to make tracks. Good on you, Daryl. Daryl in Bundy, he's got a beautiful Queensland accent. Now, Rolly, lots of people are sending you through Valentine's Day wishes. Uh, yes. There's a few limericks and... Uh, poems in here as well. Uh, one of them I'm not sure if I understand. Roses are red. Are red foxes? Oh, foxes are clever. I love something. Let's hold hands forever. Um, okay. <laughs> is was the original like limericks tend to be comedic? Was poetry originally oh, romantic? Yes. Oh yes. Well, a lot of poetry was. Um, with the Greeks, a lot of poetry began by being heroic. By the way, the Iliad and 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 so on. But in the Middle Ages, um, the tradition of love was basically courtly love. In other words, you yearned for the lady from afar, and you never had any chance of getting anywhere close or or making any personal declaration. But you wrote about the lady's hair, the lady's eyes were like the sky, her um, skin was like a rose or whatever. And there is a long tradition of this, uh, some of which was written, by the way, by priests. There was a, a French priest called Ronsard, who was a fantastic writer in the 16th century, who wrote love poetry. But it was courtly love poetry, part of the tradition of the troubadours, which are in the south of France around about 13th, 14th century. So poetry and love go back a long way. I've got from Laurie now the correct uh, phrasing. Roses are red, foxes are clever, I love you, let's hold hands forever. That's rather nice. That's sweet, yeah. isn't it? And again, the, there's, it's not normally terribly long, it's not normally very complicated, and some of the rhymes perhaps are a little bit obvious. But the whole thing is extremely sincere and simple and it goes straight to the heart, which is where it was meant to go. 
Um, forget roses, forget violets, cactus and succulents are what... Oh, sorry, this is... Let me just get this right. Um, <laughs> something's not saying, I adore you. Forget red roses, forget violets blue, cactus and succulents are what I have in lieu. Wine is red, Anya sounds blue, beef and Guinness pie instead I have for you. Ooh, well, beef and Guinness pie is very nice. Or it's a pie, pie floater in Adelaide, which is a meat pie upside down in a sea of peas. I'm going to warm you up. Um, before yes. we get to your final word, mm. we've been talking about uh, full hearts, happy hearts, loved hearts. Yes. What about broken hearts? Ah, this is the way you feel when you've been rejected or turned down or when your feelings are not reciprocated. And it, it's called, it's actually got a, got a medical name. It's called broken heart syndrome. And, you know, we know what it feels like. We've all done it. We've all had it. And you kind of eventually get over it generally, but not always. But it's actually a medical condition. It can be. And it's called Takotsubo Cardiomyopathy, which is one of my favorite phrases. Sounds right. painful. Here we go. Cardiomyopathy. Yes. You go to the cardiologist for your heart. Right? So cardiomyopathy. Is there something wrong with your heart? The MY is the Greek word for muscle. So heart muscle. And opathy means there's a medical... Something is medically wrong with you in your heart muscle. What about Takotsubo? Uh, it sounds as if a nice Japanese doctor discovered it and gave it his name, which is wrong because Tako is the Japanese word for an octopus and Tsubo is the Japanese word for a pot. And if you imagine a sort of pot with a narrowed neck, all right, the Japanese get such a pot, they put something tasty in the bottom of it, which octopuses like, they drop it into the sea, the octopus dives in to have something and can't get out. And that's how they catch dinner. And so the shape that your left ventricle in your heart takes on, it's normally like a sort of fat sausage, but if it takes on a shape with a sort of constricted top bit, it doesn't pump very well. That's what makes you feel bad. And it is, in fact, it looks like a Japanese octopus pot. So this is octopus pot heart muscle ailment. That is amazing. <laughs> I told you it was lovely. And the good news is that according to the St. Vincent Hospital in Sydney, most people get over it in two months. So you can have it from stress of all sorts of kinds, stress at work, stress at home or whatever. It actually can affect your heart muscle and it apparently fixes itself in most cases. But if, if you've got, you can say, I mean, look, to say you've got octopus pot, it doesn't sound very romantic, but no. you, you're, darling, you've turned me down and uh, you've given me a dreadful case of Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. <sighs> Should give people call, pause for, you know, oh pause dear, have I done dreadful things to you? Subarashi. I think that means super in Japanese. Rolly Sussex, a final word. For Valentine's Day, I have been contemplating my current and past relationships. I put them on a graph. And I plotted them against the x-axis and the y-axis. Happy Valentine's Day to you, Rolly Sussex. And to you, Beck. And Hello. to all the listeners. You've been listening to A Word in Your Ear with Professor Rolly Sussex, a podcast from ABC Radio Brisbane, every week on the ABC Listen app.